This is a test of the Bounty Park Alert System. So this is Christmas. What have we done? I'm only joking, don't worry, no more singing. But as it happens, quite a bit has been done. In fact, it's been quite an eventful year. In this special episode of the Boundary Park Alert System, we're going to go back over the year of their Lord, and in many ways, the year of our Lord, 2022. They say a week is a long time in football, so when you've had 52 of them, and the football club you're talking about is Oldham Athletic, well, what you can fit into it is truly astounding. If you're a regular listener, you'll have been on the journey with us. Even so, this was a year that will go down as one of the weirdest, most woeful and wonderful in the club's illustrious history. We begin, as every year seems to these days, in January. We started 2022 rooted to the bottom of the Football League with Mo's scapegoat Salim Bedachur, assistant manager of Tunisia in the 2022 World Cup. Remember him in interim charge after the sacking of Keith Curl the previous November. After an abysmal Christmas period, which included a home defeat against bottom side Scunthorpe and playing for a point in a dismal goalless drawaway at Barrow, on January 11th, Abdullah announced, I think it's best for the club that it is now passed on to new owners. My team is speaking to certain credible bidders. Well, this was epic news. A huge step in the right direction. And change couldn't come quickly enough. We need to get straight you know, to the big news, really, don't we, of the week, which is that Abdallah has come out and said that the club is officially for sale. Um, I think last time we recorded, I'd just spoken to Adam on the Friday and we recorded on the Sunday, Adam Morley, the, uh, the non-Lemsigam director of the football club. Um, and, um, you know, he, he had told me and <laughs> I had to like sort of hold on to that news um, because the conversation that we'd had, which was kind of like, look, Adam, you need to, you need to let the fans know. You need to update the fans. And it's really your responsibility that the fans deserve to know what the situation is. Last time we heard from you, you, you promised us five things, none of which you delivered on, one of which involved a three-year plan, which you clearly had no intention of actually um, delivering because you'd obviously decided by then pretty much that the club was for sale. So um, so that news came out. It wasn't a particularly inspiring or you know well-thought-out statement, very brief it was just very, uh, it was a little bit like his statement that he came out with a while ago, wasn't it? It was almost like uh, not accepting not accepting full responsibility. He accepted more responsibility than he had done at any point, I think. But it was a bit It was a bit brief and it was a bit sort of, I don't know, I, I found it a bit wishy-washy, to be honest. I think it would have been nice to have something a bit more comprehensive. But, but then again, it's the news that we wanted. So I, I'm, I'm not going to be too sort of churlish about the content of it when ultimately it's it's something that we all wanted to hear anyway. He's, he's obviously saying that statement that he feels like he's, he's caused a rift within the fans and the club, but I still don't generally think he, he probably knows what that is. I generally don't think he does, because otherwise he would have stuck it on paper. I'm itching to have the, have the same row that me and Adam had in a WhatsApp group on the podcast, <laughs> which, which is that, which is that um, I don't think we could have expected a great deal more in that statement. He wasn't going to come out and write war and peace and be and eulogize over like you know his failings and be really apologetic. It's just not in his nature for him to at least come out and say in black and white, 
Soz, yeah, I ballsed it up. I'm selling it because we need to move it on. And he used words like, you know, into you know, look after the club and better hands and all that sort of stuff. I think that was the best you could ever have hoped to hear out of, out of his mouth. And I don't think for one second he wrote it. I think morally he wrote it for him, following the conversation you had and went, you need to sell it. You know, you know, you need to sell it. We've been talking about selling it. You've got to tell him you're going to sell it to get him off your back now. Uh, I'll write a statement for you. He may well have written a slightly longer, more eloquent one. And then Abdallah went, no, I don't want that, that and that in it. And then ended up putting it back a bit. And that's probably about as good as you could hope for. And really, for me, that's the point I, I was trying to say in, in WhatsApp group is we've almost got to say that that's the best we could have hoped for. Now is the time to back the team between now and May to, to try and support the players to get third bottom. <laughs> because that is literally the best we can hope for out of this season. And then following that episode, the 3-0 defeat to Harrogate, which was a low that was almost as low as Salim's virtually full-length, pure white, nothing-to-see-here gilet. In a season that is really already full of some pretty, pretty low points, it was freezing. The atmosphere was dead. The worst I've ever experienced in a way end. And it looked like any hope of avoiding relegation was already gone, just days into the new year. And then... The sixth coming of our Lord. John Sheridan returned for yet another attempt at a Shazerection, reportedly working for free. Yeah, we were in deep shit. Yeah, he was saddled with more squad. And yeah, as Swindon fans are so weirdly keen to point out, he's a bit of a grumpy old bastard who shouts and swears quite a lot. But he's our grumpy old bastard. And if anyone could rescue this sinking ship, Shez could. He was the best hope of making a chicken salad out of Abdallah and Moore's pile of chicken shit. Sheridan's back. <laughs> and apparently it happened very late last night, which is why it was brought with, with more to follow. Where do we start? Where do we start on that? The, the fact that he's he's been appointed presumably means that he has sought some assurances. Because, like you say, we all know Shares for what he is. He isn't going to take any nonsense. So presumably, um, Mohammed's role is now somewhat reduced, if not redundant, on the basis that he isn't going to be sat at Chapel Road barking his orders from the, from the sidelines while Shez is taking the team, I wouldn't imagine. So that phase is also over, arguably, which is, which is possibly the greatest <laughs> uh, bit of news because it, he probably has the most malign influence on, on the way that the team has set up and the people that have been signed. My concern is that the embargo is still in place. But it started well. After a cagey draw against Rochdale, we beat Bristol Rovers and Scunthorpe. The players were unrecognisable, chasing down every ball, looking more solid in defence, just looking more up for the fight. And at home to Bradford on the 19th of Feb, we achieved what had seemed impossible just a few weeks earlier. Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea to the Promised Land. Jesus turned water into wine. And just after just five games, the Lord took us out of the bottom two. Boundary Park was bouncing again and Shez got the hero's welcome that he deserved at Hayside Cricket Club.
Chez was back at BP, and it was agreed amongst the majority of fans who had previously been boycotting that if Chez could come back and work for free in an attempt to save us from relegation, we'd show our support by backing in with our attendance. A crowd of 8,199 turned out for the 0-0 draw at home to Rochdale on the last day of January, but it was the following week's sold-out away end at Scunthorpe that witnessed the moment which inspired the highlight of the entire month of February. In swinger with the right boot. It's a good delivery into the middle of the pitch. Bought down by Hart onto the byline. It's all! So, like Junior Lawamba's last minute winner, out of nowhere, a club legend was back and Moore was finally out of the footballing equation. But we still needed to find a new owner. In March, news brought that an old and born businessman was leading a consortium interested in buying the club. Chris Lees, whose mother reportedly still lived in Shaw, announced his ambitious plans to make the club profitable, invest 10% of the club's balance sheet in Bitcoin, and to be challenging strongly or have attained championship status in three to seven years. He reached out to OASF for a meeting, so we met him at the Cobham Call before the Bradford match. It's fair to say that we were far from convinced at what he had to say, so we invited him onto the podcast to discuss his plans. His interview with Andy was interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, was, I felt like I was a bit of a squatter down there yesterday. I uh, listen. I'm not showing off in any way, shape, or form, but I I went in the Bentley yesterday. I think the last, to be honest, uh, don't kill me for this. I, I think the last game I went to really was the uh, the FA Cup replay when Mark Hughes, you know, did that back heel. That was when '94, and that was it. And um, I haven't been in the UK really since then. We noticed uh, a gentleman by the name of Lee Payne immediately retweeting the story saying what yeah yeah he's a good friend of mine really. yeah I'll t- I tell you another account we, we we noticed as well that was retweeting what appeared to be your LinkedIn profile oh yeah that one that's a funny one isn't it yeah at, okay. at strange at, that one yo, eh? at yo to Chris yeah yeah funny that but with a K yeah anything to yeah. do with you maybe <laughs> What you got to realise is this, right? I have a very low profile in life, okay? Um, I don't know if I should share this story with you, but I will. I had a problem, oh, God, about eight years ago. I used to have a very high profile on um, Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff. And I do know a lot of people in the music industry for whatever reason, you know. Right, who's up for a spot of name-dropping? Back in the day, I played bass guitar for Tina Turner and I toured with Tina Turner. Tina was really, really lovely. I was only quite young at the time. and I think she had a little bit of a soft spot for me and she always used to come up to me and she always used to congratulate me and say well done on the music that I was playing. Are you trying to say that Tina Turner fancied you? Really? As if Tina Turner is going to fancy Christian. And uh, there was a, there was an incident of um, an attempt at sort of 
blackmail and extortion and a, and, a, and a bit of a plot to kidnap my oldest daughter. So I have to keep my eye on things, shall yeah. we say. Yeah. <laughs> I have um, to have a way to see what's going on. Let's just okay. say that. No, Maybe that account might go. Is the is the tech company you re- refer to, is that called Yotamo? It was Yotamo, yeah. And, and there's then... another one called Yota Crypto. No, that's just BS. That's just something that... Uh... You know, I was putting out there years ago. There's, there's okay. nothing there. That's okay. not. Uh, that was a bit of an in joke, actually. <laughs> Between, uh, you know, LinkedIn's BS in it. You know, so that was a little bit of a, a nothingness. It was a bit of an in joke because I was the crypto guy. You know, so that was. Uh, so the Yota Mo business was was actually incorporated in the UK. I I think I, I can't remember if I registered that. I think I saw I saw a net I saw a name it, it had your, your surname on the on the um officers of the business. Yeah, yeah, it could well have done. So there I was, assumed, was, I assumed was it was another, a relation. Another, another guy with a net his first name began with R. Okay. I think, um, I think the name I saw began with J. Not on Yotamo. Jalix Lees. I think that oh, was the one oh, who was listening. Oh, be careful there. Yeah. That's my ex-wife. Please, yeah. <laughs> oh, is no that? Way. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. My ex-wife, Jalex Lees, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jay, yeah. And I haven't lived here up until a couple of years ago. I have a house in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Got one there as well. Well, here's, 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 here's a question for you. So let's, let's sort of carry on. Here's a question for you. So when you, you left Oldham in the 80s, mm. and then you've not, really yeah. been, you're not, you've not really been back till, you know, recent years, did you stand... As were you a Liberal Democrat councillor at one stage? Yeah, in Bristol, yeah. Were yeah. you? In, in South Gloss, yeah, yeah. But what happened there? What, that's what, a great what, story, actually. What 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 years was that then? 2003 to 2007. And did you did you defect and stand yes. to be a UKIP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you, you stood at the 2005 general election. I did in the 2010. And 2010. But well. I was in America then. I, I shouldn't have been doing that. It was naughty that. Obviously, you've got big connections to Marbella then. Lee just happens to be on the Costa del Sol, funnily enough. Can you see that? This Is that you there? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, that's fine. You know, I knew that would come out. Well, do you want to tell us about it then? Because I didn't... Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I have nothing to hide. Yeah. This is... Uh, I knew that would come out. We was down on the... I told you, we was down on the Costa del Sol. I had a business called Town and Country Property Services. So yeah. We set up a property company. We became the king of the rental industry down there. Okay. So what happened was this. I had a phone call. I, I did have a phone at that time in my house. And uh, it was the police. It was a Grupo Udeco, which is um, the organized crime squad in Spain. Okay. And they phoned me up and said, you are... Uh, town and country property services. We found your business cards yeah. in a property in uh, it's a place called Carib Player. And what we want to do is uh, we want to have a chat with you because we've had it under observation and we there's, there's, we've recovered a substantial haul of cannabis resin. Okay, so they asked me to sort of come down the corridor and come on, come on, come on. and he's smiling at me, you know, this, this this guy, plain clothes guy. And as soon as I walk around the corner, boom, I got a smack in the face. Still got a bust nose there. So you spent a year on remand. They just threw these Polaroid photographs. I was, oh, oh I'll never forget it. 
And they said, we've got something of yours. That's what they said. We've got something of yours. And I was like, oh, what, 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 what do you mean? And there were these bags of, I don't know, Hessian sacks in, the, in this garage. I hadn't done anything wrong. What happened was, on the, I, I went on hunger strike for a while because I was getting nowhere. They did not interview me. Okay. They never lay, they're supposed to lay out a charge within seven months. Okay. They never did. I was forgotten about. Honestly, I was just thrown under the bus by the authorities down there. So corrupt mm. on the Costa del Sol. And what happened then, I started writing letters to, um, I wrote to Glenis Kinnock, actually. And then Fair Trials Abroad got involved with it. But I'd lost everything, of course. It doesn't matter because I'd lost everything. So anyway, events, so we got a trial through. Um, and, and, we, and we got that uh, a year on. I mean, God, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight. I was very fit. So my lawyer gets up. Can, um, can the policeman come down? And they bring the, this copper down. He's the one that hit me. He brought him down to the front. And he said, can you identify Mr. Leeds, right? And notice is no word of a lie, right? He turned around and points at the interpreter. And you just walked out. Well, they let you out at eight o'clock at night. The one person that he did name, or, or obviously I, I picked out from the research, was this gentleman called Lee Payne, who is a former professional footballer, former football agent, and had done some scouting. Uh, I did speak to Lee Payne in the week. Um, he is based over in Spain, as, uh, as Chris Lee's told as he was. So I managed to speak to him on the phone. And in the interview, Chris had said he was a good friend and he made out like they were he's part of one of his group, his people, you know, they're, they're good friends. They've known each other a long time. When I spoke to Lee on the phone, I said to Lee, are you involved in this? He said, uh, I, I have agreed to, to give some consultancy on, on, the, on the playing side if and when that comes about. I said, how long have you known this man? Four weeks. You've known him four weeks? Yeah. How, how, do you, how have you come by him? He contacted me on Twitter. So our very own private investigator, Andy Hercule Elliwell, did some digging and his findings did not paint the picture of a credible potential buyer. There didn't appear to be much publicly available evidence of Chris Leesy's business interests. He did appear on Come Down With Me under a false name with carrots up his nose at a time when he claimed he was living abroad and he pretended to be Tina Turner's bass player. He'd run for office for both UKIP and the Lib Dems, and his old Twitter account, which he couldn't decide belonged to him or his ex-wife, was full of mad conspiracy theories. To this day, we can't figure out what the hell he was playing at, but as quickly and randomly as he appeared, him and his social media presence vanished, never to be heard of again. Thanks, but no thanks, Chris. As amusing as it all was, the last thing we needed was to invite more clowns to this particular circus. Wonder what he's up to now. So OESF and the pod had done their jobs, identifying and exposing a fraud before he took up too much time and attention, distracting us all from the pressing issues at hand. But while we're on the subject of frauds, in episode 76, we discussed how bad smells really can get anywhere. Me and Dave had press passes, okay, for the Velasquez football phone Dave's still got it. His mind's been revoked, right? The reason for that is, for one, there's, there's a bad smell of BO back at Boundary Park, right? Um, and it's been revoked by by that bad smell. The reality of the situation is that there's a shit show going on in the background, and that's what this podcast talks about. And we are not going to stop talking about that. 
The shit show is getting worse. The shit show is the reason why we're in the bottom two of the football league and it's not getting any better. So we are not going to skirt around those issues. You can ban me from Boundary Park as much as you like. I don't give a shit. I'm a director of the trust and I am openly against the current owners, right? So when B.O. is uh, spreading his shit on Twitter about us, we've got the mandate, Barry. People voted for us to get rid of these owners and don't worry, we're going to try. Let me just read out Barry's tweet of this week, which says, it has been noted that a select number of foundation directors have made their feelings known in private about their strong intentions to rid the club of the owner and those close to him. Has this been mandated by the members? And can a statement be issued accordingly? Now, unless he's been living in an underground bunker for the last year... I wish he would. That lad has not been fucking listening, has he? <laughs> no, he hasn't. Because every single member of the foundation had of- that on their submission and profile. The current foundation board members, let's okay. be clear. Okay, and were elected with a mandate on that basis and have subsequently quadrupled the membership numbers. That that tweet in its own right like has so many, so many different things that you, you can talk about off it. The fact that he's not listening, the fact that he just doesn't seem to understand, or is he just, or is he really stupid? Is the man not very bright? No, he's not he, very bright. And he's on a planet he, of his own. Or, or is he just being belligerent for the sake of... And he's but, belligerent. Or, as well, yes. He's or, thick as pig shit or, and belligerent. Yeah. Or, or and, is, and, is he simply just interested in himself? And, so therefore yes, he will say yes. and do anything to support yes. whatever he wants out of it. Somebody replied to that tweet and said... Uh, they've made their feelings known in public. That's why we want them to be on the foundation as, as directors. Any right-minded supporter of OFC would want new ownership. He replies, that, of course, is your opinion, indicating that he doesn't think there should be new ownership. Well, Barry Owen, ding, ding, ding. let us play you a clip or two of the interview you gave to us in May last year. In effect, you say Simon Carney and the three amigos prior to that were doing things that you just didn't know about. And the challenge you got from the floor was, how can we be sure that you're able to therefore do it now? And you said there that Abdallah and Mohammed were running the club properly. Would you say now that that's the case? Things change, don't they? <laughs> things change. Um I guess it's just compared to the you know the 2014 interview we played earlier where Gordy interviewed you were sort of you, you were quite positive about Simon Corney when you were in the seat and then you're now very critical of their time and then again at the fans forum in October 19 you were quite positive about Abdallah and Mohammed and I'm well, asking you now are they running listen, that club are they listen, running that club properly today? Well, listen, listen, life changes. I'm sure you were you've been in jobs or positions where things can change. If a, if the owner of a football club or his brother don't want to listen, you know we, we're in a mess. That club is in a one hundred percent mess. <laughs> I would say, first of all, Abdullah hasn't been there to interfere since September. Mohammed has, though, hasn't he? Yeah. 
And as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, and in my opinion, and I stress my opinion, the level of interference is unacceptable. It needs new ownership. <laughs> And whilst we might have all been laughing at Owen's 360 and his tirade of deranged Twitter accusations, back in the real world, on the pitch, the Shez effect sadly was over and six losses on the bounce saw us back deep in the relegation mire. Wins at home against Leighton Orient and the balaclava-clad robbery of the points at Stevenage. Jamie Hotcutthead, if you remember him, only tortured us all with false hope. On April the 23rd, our 115-year stay in the Football League came to an end in suitably farcical style. At 2-1 down at home to Salford, with our relegation looking certain to be confirmed, a number of fans entered the pitch with 11 minutes left to peacefully protest in front of where the club directors should have been, with a banner saying, Get out of our club. Sheridan, showing the integrity and empathy that was sadly lacking elsewhere in the club, told those protesting, I know you're disappointed. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's one last hope. There's 12, 15 minutes left. But ultimately, an announcement was made that the match had been abandoned and we all left the ground utterly dejected. And an hour later, at 6.30pm, the match was restarted. Uh, The final 11 minutes of our Football League era were quietly played out in an empty ground and much like the block fire exits between the OEC and the Joe Royal, our fate was sealed. Goodbye, EFL Never thought I'd see the day we'd be disgraced And fall out of the English football league Such a proud history The team from a town of chimneys Always held our own So proud to be a blue And it seems to me you suck the life out of an English football team Never knowing, always clinging to a hopeless dream And I wish I never knew you And it was just a dream Before you came to older man Suck the life out of a team and Matt Dean joins us now. Matt, how are you feeling? I'm all right. I'm all right. It, yesterday was tough. It sort of sunk in on the Sunday after the Saturday was a bit distracted. But yeah, Sunday, I was at, a, at lunch with a friend and I wasn't in the mood to socialise. You know, Football it, does that to you, doesn't it? Does, it does, doesn't it? it yeah, does. it seeps into all those places and yeah, it's been tough. Can you put, put a finger on where it's gone wrong? There's a legacy of issues. There's a long list of issues at, at, at Oldham and it, and it does reach back a long time but unfortunately um, our new owners uh, Abdallah Lemsgum came in four years ago and we were in League One then and as you know we've been relegated to League to the National League mm. for four years so it's just an underinvestment mismanagement over those last four years regardless of what happened before ultimately 
he's taken us down two divisions. Some, some say it was the 1994 semi-final, FA Cup semi-finals, where you played Manchester United. Yeah. And that was really the moment. You came very close, didn't you, to progressing through to the final that year, but obviously lost. Yeah, well, they did Is that the kind of point? Can you look back on that point and say from there, actually, it's been a I mean, there's been a lot of balls kicked in between and there's been a lot of people in, involved in the running of the football club in between, as yeah. sickening as that moment was. You know, from from a footballing point of view, yeah. I mean, they beat us twice in two semi-finals, for which they'll never be forgiven in in, in our house. But um, yeah, it, there's a lot gone on since then, and the owners of the club currently have to take responsibility for what they've done to the football club, and they're not doing that. They're not they're not communicating with anybody. And it's, as far as it, the club is concerned, this hasn't happened, which obviously to us it's happened. And the fans were pretty so. unhappy, weren't they, on the weekend yeah, with, the, with yeah. the protests? Well, since John Sheridan came back, he's a legend, he's a hero at the club, and we've, we've backed him, and, and we've done our bit because we were protesting before. Sheds came in, and we've kind of backed off and said, OK, our EFL survival is really, really important, we'll get behind the team. Uh, and they promised to, to get... Um, uh, do everything they could to keep us in the division, and they haven't done that. You know, they've failed on their promises, so the fans... On Saturday, when when it looked, I mean, I would have preferred they left it to the last minute yeah. rather than going on ten minutes before. But yeah. I can understand the the anger. Yeah. Do you think the owners will remove their association? Will they move away? Is that what you would like? Would like to be more sort of fan investment, sort of get some money together from the supporters? Yeah. The supporters trust that I represent owns three percent of the football club already, but we, we we want to increase that. I think. There has to be a massive change at this kind of level of football. We've seen what's happened at Macclesfield, Bury, Stockport. You know, I've talking to a United fan in the room back there who was complaining about what's happening at United, and it's they're on another planet. It's a billion pound they've spent on players. We'll never ever turn over a billion pounds, and what those players earn could keep our football mm. club going for 25, 30, 50 years. So there has to be a change in, in the whole dynamic of football. And clubs like Oldham, I think we have to take responsibility for it as fans. We have to fundraise. We have to contact the businesses and the people of Oldham and say come on it's important like if you're invested in Oldham invest in Oldham Athletic and that's what we're going to try and achieve as a supporters trust and I think now we've had a villain to all get behind in the Lemsgums unfortunately for them I think the honourable thing for them to do would be to turn around and say okay we're not going to get the money that we want for the club we've invested badly if you buy your car and you trash it you don't get the, mm. you don't get the, the value for what you paid for it so I think they need to accept that and say okay this is your club you, you want to take responsibility for it we don't anymore, clearly. There you go, get on with it and, and, we'll, and we'll deal with it sure. because it's, it's our club. I know, I, I guess the current owners will say, obviously, they, they've invested quite a lot of money, but now Oldham have this unwanted tag of being the first team that was playing in the Premier League to have dropped all the way out of the Football League. Yeah. In a word, do you think you'll come back up? Bigger and better than ever. Oh, there you go. Love that. We love a bit of optimism, don't we, on a Monday <gasps> morning? Well, we hope Good it for works you. out for you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you we'll very get much that. Yeah, great speech on this morning. Thank you Thank for having you. me. It took a while to really sink in but it had actually happened our club had been taken from 21 years in league one to the national league in just four chaotic years pre-shares our crowds were at an all-time low this podcast had been calling for fans to try and take ownership of the issue since the autumn of 2020 the results of an oasf consultation sent a clear message that our members were planning to vote with their feet and wallets the following season. Our relegation was the final straw for many. We'd reached our limit, we'd had enough. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I suppose I'm thinking more than 10 years ago, I was growing up with Oldham and it was became, you know, it was a name that was synonymous with football. How important is it to, I mean, obviously the team's still going to be there, just a different kind of Oldham, different money to spend and they're going to have to cut your cloth according to straightened circumstances. How important would you say it is to the, to the town, to the community? I, I think a professional football team is is uh, enormously important to every town up and down 
the length and breadth of the United Kingdom because it brings in uh, it brings in money in, in economy. It, it, it can it can help people's sort of state of mind if, if there's something to, to to focus on, and it brings people together and binds them together. So I think it's vitally important. But I, I guess the, the major issue at our club has been really since uh, the turn of of this century, quite yeah. honestly. So since since the 1990s, which is the bit that you're referring to, yeah. the 19, late 18, 80s, 90s, Mike Keegan's book chronicles the, the successes of Joe Royal's team, yeah. which went to top division of English football and played at Wembley in cup finals and semifinals. But since 2000, we have had a series of really poor owners. Uh, and uh, some of these owners have, spent, uh, have, have, been, have been found to be criminals. Some of these owners have had um, you know, secondary objectives, primarily the land that Boundary Park is situated on. Sure. Um, and, then, and then our most recent owner, uh, or our owner who's currently in situ for the last four years, is a former football agent who is based in Dubai uh, and is a Moroccan national, so has absolutely no connection with the area and really doesn't understand the culture of the football club and, and the history of the football club and, and has made some quite well, horrendous decisions and has treated the people of, of Oldham Athletic in terms of the employees as well as, as, well as um, professionals really, really poorly over the course of that four years. And, and quite honestly, this is, this is the result of, of his malign behaviour. A fans forum at the OEC had been planned for the 12th of May and in light of our relegation, it was always going to be an important event. It was a sellout. Funds raised going to OASF and the 1895 fund. It was streamed on our YouTube channel and viewed almost 2,000 times. It was a rallying call. Get up, stand up, stand up for your club. Because if you don't, who will? Meanwhile, some clubs might have chosen to spend May pulling out all the stops to prepare for life in non-league, to build resources for a concerted effort to get promoted back into the football league at the first attempt all the while begging and pleading fans to come back next season. Our club decided to put out statements drawing false equivalents between walking on the pitch with a banner and incidents at other grounds where people had run on the pitch and assaulted players and coaches. We were assured that the club is working on close cooperation with Greater Manchester Police in these respects and in future the club will operate a zero-tolerance approach to all breaches of the law. Glad to hear it, Barry. Hope this means that we'll stop chaining fire doors shut and start paying our bills. The club also announced that the Joe Royal stand would not be in use for the 2022-23 season because recent events have also revealed that the management of the North stand are not prepared to work with senior officials and this seriously compromises the club. Every ground has its, has its own safety certificate and it's based on the actual intricacies of that particular stadium and Boundary Park's no different. The safety certificate was amended to incorporate the building of the new stand. Once the corporate's opened up December, January 15-16, for the rest of that season and the three seasons after until the end of the 18-19 season, that certificate right. remained unaltered. When it does need to change is when there's a change of circumstances. For the end of the 2019 season, you've got the club decided not to use these hospitality facilities and that is a change of circumstance and the safety certificate was never changed however the football club do not own the part of the stadium that's the OEC and therefore they've no legal rights on it so there's a conversation to have between the OEC between the football club between the regulatory authorities 
to find what is the right solution. All I can say is, at the start of last season, the football club, the OEC, the landlord sat down, agreed a document that was required by the safety advisory group, all signed it, and the safety advisory group accepted it. And then we've operated throughout the 21-22 season under that agreement. And I think all all parts have been complemented by by the safety advisory group on how it's operated. There's not been any issues as far as we're aware. We've had at least three unannounced visits during this last season by both the Safety Advisory Group and the uh, Safety at Sports Ground Authority. They've also been in and all three visits have come back extremely complimentary about the safe operation of the North Stand from the OEC facilities. Can I ask you directly a question? Was there a CCTV issue or not? Yes or no? Again, as far as we were concerned, no. The safety circuit was put in place. The club had to present to the safety advisory group a proposal of how to run a safe event following the building of the North Stand. That was put in place. CCTV was required in the spectator areas, which includes the seats, the concourses, and around the outside of the building. The safety advisory group didn't have a requirement for a CCTV in the OEC area because of a class of corporate facilities and not a risk area. Yeah. So it was operating like that for 2015-16 season, 2016-17 season, 2017-18 season and 2018-19 season. All like that. <laughs> well, Barry was suggesting that that CCTV needed to be wired back to the police control room. So, I mean, Barry's entitled to suggest that. You know, it's, it's the regulatory authorities that decide whether we need it or not. And it's never been required. This is a professional football club. And yeah, we do things the right way here. We heard far more than we ever wanted to from Barry Owen throughout June, both in interviews in the Oldham Times and in those much-loved statements written in his inimitable style. June 2022. There's a difference between having the ability to participate in a conversation with your manager as the owner of the football club. Does that become construed as interference? Now, I've had numerous occasions, on numerous occasions, conversations with different managers about different things, players, styles, tactics. I suppose they could argue that I've been interfering, but to me, all I've been having is a a normal conversation over a cup of coffee. I think when it suits people, there can be an argument that there's been some interference. Certainly, in the early days, uh, there might have been more enthusiasm to have those sort of discussions and debates. May 2021. As far as I'm concerned, and in my opinion, and I stress my opinion, the level of interference is unacceptable. June 2022. The one thing I'll give him credit for on this, when John was appointed, he didn't want to do anything that threw John off course. He didn't want to be present And in fact, on one occasion, I said, I'll come with you to a home game. He said, no, I don't want to do anything where my presence might have protested, Mm -hmm. caused an ear riot. He wanted John to be able to have that space free. I'll give him 10 out of 10 for that. May 2021. He's interested because he's nothing else to do. You know, he has the luxury of going standing down at the training ground every morning, the training. I don't know why he does that, but he does. That's the saddest indictment of everything that you guys are saying is that uh, when kind of Barry had to depart, he says he resigned for ethical and other reasons, but uh, I know differently. 
No, I, th- I think bringing in Barry is a popular desperation. Uh, uh, I, I don't think Mohammed brought him back in happily. Uh, if he did, I'd be surprised. Yeah. But mm. uh, I think Mohammed need seriously needed somebody else, like a physical body. Mm. And uh, they couldn't think of any, anybody else. And then he scored a hilarious own goal by describing fans who were unhappy at the club ownership as the rebel element. And a thousand t-shirts, badges, memes and videos were born. In one idiotic quote, he turned Push the Boundary, the Supporters Foundation and the podcast, plus everybody fighting for the club's future, into James Dean, Public Enemy, Han Solo and Princess Leia, all rolled into one. And on the 26th of June, in a galaxy far, far away, we had a cracking day out at the Fans v Legends game on the forest moon of Endor, Avro FC. The star-studded event was organised by the Rebel Element to raise money for the 1895 fund. Jason Jarrett and Jonathan Fort were both the standout players for the Legends, uh, no one of note really for the fans, but Richie Wellens was a magnificent shithouse, giving his shirt to someone in the crowd who was giving him stick and sending him on the pitch to play. No one really knew what score it finished, especially referee Dave Bradley, or how many players there were on the pitch at the end. But over a thousand fans turned up to watch, and around 16,000 Republic credits were raised for the 1895 fund. And we drank the bar dry. You rebel scum. And then, despite the ominous turn the music has just taken, on June the 30th we received the news we'd all been hoping for, but really hadn't been expecting to hear for a long time. A club statement we all actually wanted to read. Abdallah Lemsigam and Simon Blitz have agreed to make significant compromises to enable the sale of Oldham Athletic Football Club and Boundary Park Stadium to be consolidated under one single ownership. The buyer is not a consortium, but a long-standing, successful local business. Target completion for the purchase is less than four weeks. We'd all been braced for the legal action around the Joe Royal stand to drag on for months, if not years. We thought we'd all be saddled with the Lemsigams for years and years, that we'd be dug into our trenches for some time still. And now, we were looking at new owners of the club and the ground being in place before the start of the next season. Who was this mystery local business? J.W. Lees? The Georgian? The day before the announcement, the rebel element had been called into the OEC where Darren Raw brought the news to us. We'd have to wait like everybody else to find out who it was that was taking over, but one important question was answered. Speaking of history, <laughs> the big news of the day today involves... <sighs> what are you cracking that open for, Andy? <laughs> just getting a, I'm just getting another can. This is becoming a bit of a feature, this, the point at which we open the cans. I can't wait to get the champagne going, though, but... Yeah, we're opening. The, we're, I'm opening my can, and I'm going to toast a beer to you all because we're finally rid of that horrendous individual that has blighted our club for the best part of two decades in one form or another. Cheers to that, gentlemen. Cheers, lads. <laughs> I'll drink to that. See you later, Baza. After what felt like an age of waiting and Twitter speculation, but was really only about a month, the club's new owners were unveiled on July 28th. Welcome to Boundary Park, Manchester Cabin's owners, the Rothwell family, and our new chairman, the shy and retiring Mr. Frank Rothwell. Well, I'm the kind of guy. Hey! 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 Hey!
call me the Wanderer. They call me the Wanderer. I am the Wanderer. New club CEO Darren Royal confirmed that the new board would consist of himself and his dad, Joe, Frank Rothwell and his son, Luke, and daughter, Sue, former Pepsi CEO Kevin Roberts and the former FA lawyer, Peter Norbury. A bit of an upgrade from Mo, Barry and Will from the in-betweeners. Darren thanked Push the Boundary, OASF, Stadium Part 32, the FLG, Oasis and the inspirational Athleticos. We did it, everyone. We got our club back. The Rebel Alliance won. Luke told us at the press conference that the detail in which this podcast had gone into to uncover the issues at the club had been a tremendous help to them. And Frank spoke about how much he loves Oldham. He called the corporate hospitality at Man City shit. Spoke about his passion about ladies' toilets and said he wanted a brass band and dancers at the first home game of the season. He also interrupted the press conference to wave at the crowd, celebrating in the car park, walking in a Rothwell wonderland. You'll do for us, Frank. The new owners got straight to work, getting their hands dirty alongside an army of volunteers. Seats were cleaned, potholes were filled, and the empty unit at the back of the Joe Royal stand was cleared out and turned into a fans bar. At the first game of the season, an away fixture at Torquay United, huge numbers of Oldhamers travelled by trains, planes and three-wheeled automobiles, some getting there more successfully than others. The first home game of the new era was marked by a triumphant march down Sheepfoot Lane, led by the Rothwell family, Darren Royal, Chaddy the Owl and a brass band playing Mouldy Old Door and Don't Look Back in Anger. We beat Dorking Wanderers, does anyone know where Dorking is by the way, 3-2, and Frank took the piss out of Man United on live national TV. Happy days are here again. To start the season with such fanfare really had been a great escape. And then, obviously, we were well beaten at home to Wealdstone, and that was that bubble burst. Contrary to what angry we guys may tell you on Twitter, none of us really thought we were going to piss the National League. Dave, what do you think? I, I think we're going to go up straight away. No problem. It'll be the momentum of what happens. Football's all about momentum and good feeling and positivity. <clears throat> uh, okay, Dave. Before the new owners took over, with liquidation a distinct possibility, most of us thought that avoiding relegation to the National League North was about as good as we could hope for this season. We knew exactly how tough it was going to be. Talk to us about non-league. What are we in for? <laughs> it, it all depends on how you embrace it. And, I, and thankfully, I can speak from my experience because we went down. Oh, we shouldn't be here. We'll be back up in a season. Absolutely no bother. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You have to go there. You have to embrace non-league. I think it's a different division now. I think when we went there, it was it really was non-league. Now it's kind of a professional fifth league, isn't it? And um, you know, it has its own TV coverage, it TV deals. You know, there's more finance in the league, which there wasn't when we were there. And I think one of the reasons why it took us five years to get out, if we say the first two years, the new consortium were clearing out the mess from past, so you could kind of wipe them two seasons off. Largely, so let's say it took us three years of, of proper management to get out of the division. You have to embrace it. You have to. You have to be a club at that level. If you go down there thinking, you know, you're Billy Big Boys, you'll get found out very, very quickly. We did it. We turned up to places like Hyde, Braintree, with the greatest respect to these places, because when you go there, they're fantastic communities. You can tell that the clubs are 
entwined in their communities and everything that football should be. But when you've dined at the tables of Stoke and Hull and these kind of places for the want of better teams, to then go there so quickly, you know, it was it's kind of like going from caviar to sort of scraps, really. And we didn't embrace that. But if you do embrace that and you embrace it for everything that it is, it can be an enjoyable experience. It's not a nice experience. No one wants to be out of the football league, particularly clubs like ourselves who were, you know, we were founder members of the Premier League but got relegated out of it. Obviously, yourselves, you've been in the Premier League. We were both cup semi-finalists in 94, weren't we? And um, yeah. You know, it's not the place where our clubs should be. But if you embrace it and take on the challenge for what it is, it's it's not as soul-destroying as, as you think it might be. In that five-year period, are you actually finished second, third, fifth, seventh and first? You were never actually out of the top seven. What What is now the, the regular sort of playoff places, if you like, in, in that division? You competed quite well every season. You just You just never quite made it a couple of times, did you? So... If your consortium was sorting out the mess, they were still keeping you very competitive on the pitch in that league. Yeah, they were. I mean, like you say, we got relegated with a competitive squad, so that kind of helped in the first season. Probably at the end of the first season, all of the kind of high earnings or the the earnings that came in to try and save us in that minus 30 season that we could no longer afford, they went. And then, like I say, from seasons three, four and five, we we were a conference team, really, trying to build our way back up. But I mean, obviously, we had a budget in that division, even allowing for the fact that we'd gone through all the mess that we'd gone through. We still managed to maintain crowds of seven, eight, nine thousand per season. The one thing that I should have mentioned previously, stay together in the conference. Make sure your fan base stays together. It's, it's, it's a massively important thing in that league because you don't get as much funding as you do in the football league. So your supporters really, 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 really will need to stand up and be counted. But we couldn't have predicted that Hallam Hope was going to get ruled out for weeks just as he was in his best run of form since joining the club because he got assaulted in the car park after a game. But this is the kind of look that we've had, well, for decades now. Sadly, after a poor run of results, it became clear that the ultimate Chesurection back into the Football League just wasn't to be. And the club agreed to part ways amicably with John Sheridan. The announcement was made before the game against Eastleigh, where he was given a hero send-off. The hero send-off that he deserves, even though he would rather have gone quietly. But that's just the kind of guy he is. We caught up with him after the 3-2 win in a very emotional post-match press conference. I'll, I'll just come, honestly, I will, I will be coming to watch the games. I will. It's 35 minutes from home. I love it. I'll just come down, watch the game, have a beer in the lounge, just see people who I love and who, who I like to. And Are we one of the people that you love? Well, I, don't know. I love everyone involved in all the <laughs> Now, listen... Like I say, I've, I've been so uh, overwhelmed with the support. I've always had the support, though. Even, like I said, I keep going back to it. We haven't always done great, either, but I've never had this... I've never felt any negativity towards me, where probably another manager would have just... They've always supported me, yeah. and that's what I appreciate more than anything, and that's why I probably come back last year, and I always wanted to come back and whatever, whatever. And I'm gutted more than anything last year that we didn't stay up. It's, yeah. it's, it's a massive downer for me. Um, I don't even know if I would... If we would have stayed up last year, I don't even know if I would have stayed, you know. Right. Um, and then we was going down, I thought, just... Yeah, just felt to myself, I thought, just give it a year and train. There's a lot of change players-wise and whether... Whether they've brought the right players in this year, whether they've let the right players go last year, so... Um, I just want to... I just wanted to give it a year and have a go. Um, but the, the step they've made in... Uh, Decisions we've made now over the last week is, is purely, and I feel 100% right for, for the club. I do. Thank you for everything, Shez. 
You didn't have to come out of retirement in our worst ever season. You gave us hope in our darkest hour and you reinvigorated the fan base, which is one of the main reasons that the Rothwells were inspired to buy the club. You'll always be a legend and Oldham will always love you more than you can know. Here's to you, Johnny Sheridan Holding much more than you will know Whoa, whoa, whoa Here's to you, Johnny Sheridan Holding much more than you will know Whoa, whoa, whoa Whoa, whoa, whoa Thank you for the smiles We'd like to say you should be proud of yourself Look around you while you see our old and grateful eyes Stroll around the ground cause this will always be your home Here's to you, Johnny Sheridan Old and much more than you will know Whoa, whoa, whoa Here's to you, Johnny Sheridan the worst kept secret since the Rothwell takeover was out on September 20th when former Everton under-23s manager David Unsworth was unveiled as Sheridan's successor. Unfortunately for myself and Dave Bradley, the press conference was called the day before, on Sunday, the day after we'd been seeing Shez off in appropriate style down the pub. Despite conducting our first meeting with the new manager in a rather hungover state and forgetting to switch the mic on for the first three minutes of the interview, myself and Dave were still able to ask the manager some excellent questions, including this one about changing the culture at the club. No, so where do you, where do you start? no I, th- I think you make a great question. Um, well, the first thing to do is not talk about what's happened in the past. Mm. I think that's the first thing. We, we, we stop that uh, and we talk about what we're going to do in the future. Um, and there has to be a period of you know, that middle bit where you want it to be really small, where you go from a team that, as you have said, has not won. I don't want to move, use the other words because I want to talk about winning all the time. So the team that hasn't won to a team that is starting to win. So you, you get your small marginal gains every day. So, you know, winning in training, you know, a game in training every day, even if it's just a little game at the end of training, you know, where there's a winner. And, and you focus on winning. And you know what? You've got to enjoy your wins. You've got to enjoy how it feels. And you've got to reward that. Um, and, and you focus, you know, everything on a winning culture, but in a winning environment. I think our board is winning at the moment. I think it's won. You know, I think what John did last year, bringing the fans back, he won. You know, so those, you start talking about that and then you start talking about what the board have done, what Darren's doing and what the owner has done and what the owner's doing and the changes, you know, he wants to make. They're all massive wins. Um, And I've got to bring that to the team. David Unsworth, or Rhino, as he's apparently also known, made it clear from day one that he was here for the long haul and has been brought in to rebuild the football infrastructure of the club from top to bottom create a B team to bring young players through and improve our recruitment networks. Very much a long-term project. The Rhino Ball era didn't get off to the best start at Bromley, getting battered 3-0 on a plastic pitch with actual, literal moving goalposts was a new low in, you know, what has been a year full of them. 
we could be forgiven for fearing the worst before the league game at home to National League superstars, Wrexham. But the Hollywood versus Hollywood game turned into a much improved performance. We were 1-0 up until the 85th minute, but couldn't maintain the pace or pressure to hang on for an unlikely win, unfortunately. The equaliser had been a long time coming. A 96-minute penalty. What a kick in the crotch. But Rome wasn't built in a day, and Oldham's got more hills anyway. So, anyway, speaking of Rome, here's what fans thought ahead of Unsworth's first home game in charge against Wrexham. Hi, I'm just here. What's your name, pal? Sean McGowan. And uh, who's going to win today? Uh, Oldham. What score? One 0 Are you excited with all the crowds? You know, you, you, first time you've been this season. Yeah, and I think we're going to batter them in both halves. I think we'll have majority of the possession as well. Right. And what do you think about David Unser? It's his first game, isn't it, as Oldham manager? Do you think the crowd will get behind him? Yeah, but hopefully he can just get a good start. We don't have a good start against Bromley where we lost 3-0, but yeah, first home game, what, come on, 1-0 prediction then, yeah? Yeah. Keep the faith, Sean, thanks very much. You're welcome, thank you. Hi, um, I'm with, what's your name, pal? Peter. Peter what? Fielding. How do you think we'll get on today? I think we're tight, I hope we play well and maybe get a draw, it'll be good. What do you think of the appointment of Unsworth, are you impressed? Yeah, so far, I've not seen much what he's done, have we? Hopefully somebody coming through, you know. Maybe some of the younger lads getting a game, you know what I mean? We bring a couple of new signings in, so hopefully. So it's going to be a draw, what score? Well, we're going to let a goal in, aren't we? So I'll say one apiece. Who's going to score for Latics? Difficult, difficult one, that one. Who have we got up front now, today? <laughs> I don't know who's playing today, I haven't seen team yet. Rooney, maybe, hey. on his debut. Rooney, Rooney. Yeah. Thanks, Peter, no take problem. care. Thanks. Hi, I'm just here, what's your name, please, pal? Uh, Daniel. Daniel what? Daniel McGowan. Right, Daniel, son. Uh, where do you think we're going to get on, get on today? Oh, could be a score draw, 2-2. Two, two. And who's your, who's your money on for scoring? <coughs> uh, I think it's going to be uh, a Rooney brace and uh, a Paul Mullins brace. Right, what odds do you reckon you'll get on that? 5-1. I think I'm out of a fiver on that myself. Thanks, Dan. Hi, I'm just here. What's your name, pal? Harry Dunn. Harry. Harry. How do you think we'll get on today against Wrexham? Uh, I think it'll be tough, but um, I think we'll come out with a good result. Um, one or two, one or two, one, two, one. I think. Well, what do you think about the appoint? What do you think about the appointment of Unsworth? Um, I think it needed to happen, um, but yeah, so I feel good about it. And uh, John Ebrels has come in today, and also Francis Jeff is in the backroom staff. It's quite a decent uh, backroom staff now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it can't go downhill for me, 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 for me. Unfortunately, we didn't kick on in terms of performance from there. And October saw a string of underwhelming draws against Scunthorpe, Maidenhead and perhaps most embarrassingly, part-timers Chester in the FA Cup. The highlight of the month was a 119th minute equaliser by Mike Fondop in the replay at Chester and the subsequent penalty shootout. It says here, triumph? I suppose we'll take our victories where we can, Arlene. But when we followed that up by beating Yorville at home, it looked like we might have turned a corner. And we had, at high speed straight into an oncoming bus. 
The general consensus was that the defeat at Altrincham away was one of our worst ever performances. Worse even than Harrogate, although blessedly not as cold and thankfully it didn't rain as we stood in the uncovered end of what felt like a very non-league event. So a Roses clash on TV at Halifax was the ideal way to bounce back, right? Wrong. Uh, the shape, the three-five-two-five-three-two. What I, I I just hate saying it, but why do we not play simple four-four-two? The players don't understand the system. They can't get to grips with the system. They can't have any confidence in the system. Every time they go forward, they run out of ideas and go back and back. So many times, Cooper got the ball and played it back to the defence, and then it went to Norman and it hit the long ball. You know, Tollett, to be fair, he did play. I thought he, did, he had an okay game, but again, it's, as Adam said, he's just too inconsistent, isn't he? Uh, Timmy Abraham looked fitter, faster, stronger than any player on that field yesterday. And you can tell the levels of fitness that, you know, a football league club has against the National League side. Other than that, there was no standout player for me. Fondot was on his own again. He was trying to do the flick-ons in a double. He had two men on him all game. And it, it was just, we were just telegraphing everything for Halifax to deal with it. The Boundary Park Alert System would like to apologise for Dave Bradley's error in the Latics Mind Quiz. It was not Keanu Marsh-Brown who scored the equaliser against Sheffield United. It was Kieran Lee. Apologies. However... This honest mistake by Dave wasn't the big news of episode 13 of this season's Boundary Park Alert System. That belonged to PTB. So, the PTB. So, uh, tomorrow morning there'll be a, well, from Monday there'll be a statement going out to say that PTB will be a, will be no more. We've been thinking for a while now and we wanted, obviously, push the boundary was set up to unite the fan base when they didn't have a voice. And the club was, well, it was a, it was in a mess, wasn't it? And we just felt like there was no one there to give them that voice and the platform to do it. So we put ourselves together, and we now feel that obviously yourselves with the foundation, becoming the CBS, having the the ability to raise vital funds, and not being afraid of being that voice for the fan base, and you know not afraid of pushing back on the club if there is any issues and the fan council as well there's, there's no requirement for push the boundary anymore so it's been fantastic three years tomorrow monday is the uh, third year anniversary of push the boundary and it's been a it's been a hectic chocker three years but it's uh we're obviously we're at a position now where we can sit back and you know Moan about the team selection because that's where we're at. You know, the club is stable again in regards to ownership. You look at the ground, the grounds obviously being purchased, the gym, etc. They're all being put under one umbrella. So no, it's a, uh, it's sad, but it's a. Uh, I think I think definitely time. What a journey, Adam. Eh? Absolutely. What a journey. What a journey. Look, I mean, I've been working very closely with you for the last couple of years. You took the bull by the horns when, <laughs> when it needed to be taken by the horns, and 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 you know without you doing that, everything else that followed wouldn't have happened. So it was really like Jack said, without without push the boundary coming to the front and leading from the front, everything else wouldn't have happened. So you know definitely on behalf of the foundation, 
uh, you know, the podcast, you know, which of course you've, you, you guys were instrumental in helping get off the ground just by coming on and talking to us every week. So, you know, there was actually, I, I had someone to talk to about the football and talk to about the situation and, you know, all that started to, to, to kick off as a result and everything that happened since then, like it's, it's, it's great. And it's, it's what it's all about. It's a football's about fans and it's about community and it's about just, you know, like even the name push the boundary about pushing yourself, you know, sport is about pushing yourself. It's about trying to be the best you can be and, and not accepting mediocrity and everything about Oldham <laughs> athletic in those like recent years was mediocre. And like the lads have said, without, without you lads actually getting off your asses and saying, you know, this is, this is not acceptable this journey wouldn't have begun. So cheers, Adam. And thanks to the lads. Uh, and yeah, I know you've all had a lot going on and you've had all kinds of issues in your personal lives that you've still had to live through throughout the last few years. So I, I think that just putting your feet up for a bit and having a rest is well earned, mate. No, absolutely. It's just want to thank absolutely everybody who's got behind us, obviously yourselves, foundation, podcast you know every single fan who's turned up at a protest every single fan that's put leaflets through people's doors people really getting behind what push the boundaries all about and it's sad that it's got to this stage of doing this but you know it's right because it's not needed everything's set in place and with the fans wise and we're in such a better position now and fair play to every single person for standing up because if they didn't push the boundary wouldn't have gone where it was november was frankly shit the FA Cup tight Wrexham was an utter humiliation live on national TV, but the club kept doing the right things off the pitch and we appointed Steve Thompson as the head of recruitment. We also brought back Peter Clark, who is now 40 years old, my friend, and signed Alex Reid, who had already scored eight goals this season for Solihull. We also spoke with club CEO Darren Royal. For us, it's about building a sustainable business model, which not many football clubs have. I think we've got an opportunity with the actual land and scope and location of it to do that. So once we've actually put that in place, which we're on with, a non-match day sustainable income, um, multiple revenue streams that come into it to uh, to support a, a football club business, it's focused on sport. It's focused on delivering something for Oldham as a community. The dream is proper positive sustainable change to Oldham not just the football club we believe that that the football club plays a major part in in the community moving forwards the reason why this should be reassuring is that this is additional investment to create businesses that generate non-match day income Mm -hmm. um, that will support the football club there's a whole business model around the football club and the academy that it's not pie in the sky it's tried and tested there's variations of it at Brentford for example which I think it's got one of the, it's one of the best run clubs and best run business models in in the country and possibly Europe so there's different aspects to the business and the one that we're talking about here is what's happening away from the training ground and the football business and that's to make as much as we can from the facility on a non-match day on a match day as well, we realise we need to be better. The facilities are outdated. We know we all know that. That's their givens. There's been no investment in that for many years. There's a huge amount of work that we've had to do to rectify faults, electrical faults, structural faults, which is ongoing. We've done over 10 
different surveys around the stadium to do that. Um, our ambition with that is that we hope to get the um, safety assessment group to increase the capacity again. Highly qualified, successful people that are ambitious, results driven. And that's not just the manager and his coaching staff. You know, that's also um, head of recruitment, uh, scouting infrastructure. So there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're starting from scratch in terms of, you know, our ability to do that, which we've put in place now. But then there's all the other side of it as well that we've invested in, which is, you know, sports science, strength conditioning, medical, performance psychology. We've created a new space where the players are going to um, have, have breakfast and and lunch every day because it's important to control what goes into the bodies and also a space where it's a performance analysis, pre-match, post-match analysis area. Getting right uh, in terms of recruitment is really, really essential and we have a wealth of information nowadays publicly but also with Scout um, as, as one example most of the championship and Premier League clubs use StatsBomb, which is probably one of the, the biggest and best analytical tools going. Um, so if you look at two of the clubs in the in the Premier League, which are great examples, Brentford and Brighton, they're both models and business models based on player trading. Yeah. Um, they recruit their players, firstly, statistically, um, casting a, a wide net, They'll then have a high level of QC on them in their scouting infrastructure, actually going physically to see players because you can't pick up everything from stats. Having that recruitment model and having all the information, objective information on the table and having people scouted is really important. We've got somebody in the analyst space, um, statistical analysis, uh, and then we've also got a performance analysis as well who's working daily with the coaching staff around pre-match analysis, opposition analysis and post-match analysis as well, which again, you know, that infrastructure wasn't in place. Most, if not all of the clubs in the National League have that. It's not like we're being innovators here. Um, Our thinking was getting somebody that would buy into the overall vision who could restructure or build a structure because we didn't have one, um, who was successful, who was aligned with that with our vision and the purpose that we've come up with yeah. football goals and pitch sizes and the ball size, I think it's the same size in the national league as it is in the premier league. And the players all have two legs. I think what we don't know and what we were finding out is, you know, the style of play, how the game differs between league two and national league or national league and championship. There's some, you know, there's some patterns that are starting to emerge but it comes back to, again, recruitment, management and coaching and having the infrastructure in place to do that. Yeah, so if you if, if you look at other clubs, Notts County, Tranmere, they've, they've had different strategies around that. So Tranmere pulled out of the EPPP, yeah. um, whereas other clubs stayed in for the two years, didn't get promoted, and then they've had another incarnation of a, of a youth system. So we're already having those conversations with the academy you know, about contingency plans. Yeah. I'm also speaking to uh, the chief executive of LFE, League Football Education, and also I'm speaking to the director of academies for the EFL. My view is at the moment, we've got a, a Cap 3 academy that's on the whole, it's had some 
downside from what's happened to the club in re- previous years. But because it's EFL funded, it's got a structure, it's got some incredible people that have been there a long time and it's produced players, names that we all know. With that, with also it was a, a DCMS review with the chief exec of the PFA and the operational chair of the PFA on the 8th of February this year that again highlighted there's a need for more clubs with academies, not less, right. and uh, a system to help players. We should and we are speaking to the authorities around, well, you know, actually allowing this academy to go away and die um, is crazy. You know, that's certainly something that's part of my my day job I'm working on. If things stayed as they are and, and the funding was withdrawn, then we would have a different model in place. And it's what I alluded to you before around full-time education, the multi-sport full-time education model, but that would allow us to operate from a, uh, a 16 to 18 full-time with our B team and with the first team. You know, half the funding goes at the end of this year, all of it goes at the end of... So we've got to have another plan in place, which we're, we're working on. The pod team feel that with all the hard and vital work that is going on in the background, the club is in excellent hands. And if nothing else, this particular episode highlights the golfing class of those in charge at the beginning of the year compared to those who are at the helm now. And while PTB had rightfully earned the opportunity to bow out with their heads held high for all they've done for the fans and the club, it was our turn as the podcast to receive some recognition for the work that we've put in over the last couple of years. And in November, we were delighted to receive the accolade of the Northwest Football Awards Fan Media, our podcast of the season 2022. Myself, Andy and Dave attended a star-studded event at Lancashire County Cricket Club, and I felt it was only right to dedicate the award to one man, the people's champion, saving the game a million pounds at a time, while mugs like us try and do it for free. You know, we, we represent all of Athletic. We've been through a really, really tough time over the last few years. And our podcast has been reporting on it all. Uh, and we've been really inspired by man of the people, football man of the people, Gary Neville, who's been absolutely inspiration to us all at the lower end of the football pyramid. So, thank you very much, and cheers, it's the But ultimately, regardless of how much better we might be feeling about matters off the pitch, it's a results-based business, and football fans tend to start panicking when their club are sat second bottom of the National League without a single away win and just four home wins by the end of November. Mr Unsworth had only presided over one of those wins and some fans felt that despite having only been at the club since September that it was time to go back to the tried, tested and pretty much always successful approach of sacking and replacing the manager before Christmas. Well, not everybody felt like that and this made for some healthy debate on social media and the Latix football phoning. People were, people were, Shez has to go, Shez has to go, right? So he went, so what was after Shez? Was it better? Obviously not. People are saying not. In the short term, it's not better, right? But So if we start screaming for runs without, then what's next? Is it going to be better? Well, they can't do right for doing wrong. They get white shares out, they bring someone in. They're, right, they're not performing, not results. But like today, like all them tweets and all them comments, not one of you, not one of you have decided to have the balls to come on this show and have it out with us. But And, I, and I'm probably sort of with yourselves that, that I'm, I don't really want us to be hiring and firing managers every two minutes. That's becoming my only argument at the moment. I haven't got anything else to defend Unsworth with. I don't want us to be changing managers every two minutes, but I've not seen anything from what he's doing to convince me he's the right person for the job. Paddy, you're sticking or twisting? 
Uh, I, I'm very in the middle, but I don't think he could complain if he was sat tonight. Um, you mentioned yourself the other week, Matt, that there is nothing on the pitch that shows it's getting any better. Um, you appear to have changed your stance recently and have become very defensive of him, but there's nothing that indicates that things are getting better. It's up to the board. The board, we, we, we wanted new owners to come in. New owners have come in. The old ones have gone. Now, you, I, you, I was thinking about this the other day. Maybe, in hindsight, having the big fanfare and the parade and making all... Maybe it, it sort of set the expectations a little bit too high. Maybe they should have come in a little bit more under the radar and kept it a little bit more low-key. Maybe. By the by, everyone was delighted for him to come in. Everyone said, oh, we've got people we can trust. We've got to let them get on with it now and it's going to, be, it's going to get better. The manager's come in. He's had 16 games. It's not going well, but nobody's putting any trust and any faith in everything that's going on behind the, behind the scenes at the club, but including the manager, that, that it's going to come right. And and, and so... Oh, Matt, you couldn't disagree with what point, Paddy? Everybody still knows that what's going on behind the scenes is all fine. Every, there's no issues with anything that's going on behind the scenes. The problem is what's happening on the pitch. I know, but it's, well, all, connect, it's all connected, Paddy, isn't it? Well, people are calling, people are calling, people are calling for Darren Royal to get out. On Twitter today, anybody, anybody that I see and speak to have, have got no problems with um, Darren Royal, what he's doing, he, no problems with the Rothwells. I'm not saying that they've got a problem with, with those people, Paddy, but what I'm saying is, is that all of a sudden they don't have faith in this decision, this appointment, and that this is part of something which fits into the, the longer term projects and that, it, it, you know, given time it's going to come together. That's what I'm saying. It's kind of like, it's isolating the coach and the manager as as the issue. Remove that, and then you bring somebody else in, and everything's going to be fine. They're trying to put something together which is which is bigger than that. That's what that's what I'm saying. Does what it... happens when the, if the next manager comes in, loses his first ten games? Sack him. Do... Sack him. Right. Brilliant. So then, then what? what? So what's the what's the issue then? Is the issue in the manager, or is the issue something deeper than that? Fact of the matter is, this fella is not good enough. The stuff we are hearing come out of Everton fans is scary. So I won't, I won't hide behind it. I would call the Royals out or whoever made this appointment because it's not worked and it's not followed a usual recruitment process. We said a few weeks ago on there, I'd be it if this doesn't go well. And it's a shame because of the, the status they hold with the club. Matt, about four weeks ago on the pod, you said something that I couldn't agree with more and you said about Unsworth, about, um, he's got the players coming in, but something has to change on the pitch and that's down to him. We've picked a point in four since. Mm. And I, I say this without prejudice, lads. There has been a change in thought process from you guys. I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's on the back of meeting Darren and Dave and it's, you know, it's made you... I don't think that's because, you know, sometimes when you meet the person who's doing the job, you have a little bit more empathy for them. And I completely understand that. Your idea of this positivity when it is how it is, I get it. And it'd be lovely. But what kind of parallel universe are you living in? You're trying to change a global outlook of how society looks at things when it's shit. It is shit. People aren't going to be dancing around like the Senegalese. It is shit. I'm not, I'm not expecting them to. Guys. I'm not expecting them to. I've never said that, I never said they should. First of all, I never said that people shouldn't be on shouldn't be unhappy. And and like you said, Unsworth does have does have to results to he's judged on results. I, I someone else is saying it. Big change in Matt in these past two weeks. There hasn't been a big change in me. I've always backed the manager. 
I've always backed the team, right? I've never jumped on players' backs. I've never jumped on managers' backs. Under the under the last ownership, I always said it was about Mohammed and, and Abdallah, not the managers, right? That, that it was never going to work for them. I don't see the point to say after 16 games, because people like yourself and other people, guys, and other fans from Everton are saying this. It's just fans talking. Like, I mean, there's you have to put trust into the people that are running the football club that they've made the right decision. And if they feel they've made the wrong decision and they feel they need to sack him, then they will. And they'll make that decision because that's their responsibility and that's that's the responsibility that they took. The one thing I'd be saying to you two is the only answer that you two seem to be giving is sacking managers doesn't help. Now, I, I'm not saying it does, but that is the only stock response that you seem to be giving. Let's try keeping him. Now, I understand that. I understand what you're saying. But, uh, and as Andy, Andy always loves his business analogies, right? Now, the, the one thing I'd say is, as a, if, a, if you have a business and you've, you've got everything right above, and it's a shop, you've got everything right above, and then the shop manager keeps putting the fish and chips where they should be the fruit and veg. What you'd do is you'd get rid of the, the owner would get rid of the manager and he'd put another one in. And that was how we started the final month of 2022. Doing what football fans do, disagreeing and debating absolutely everything on an award-winning fan media channel. Oh yeah, mentioned that already, but this is what football's all about. Opinions, rumours, the occasional high and an almost suffocated amount of lows. And December has not brought as much festive cheer so far either. We lost at Solihull, we lost at Borehamwood to an injury time goal after hitting the bar twice. And England went out of the World Cup in the quarterfinals again. Bring us some luck, Father Christmas please. We did get a bit of an early Christmas present from Torquay who gifted us a lead with a comical own goal. Obviously we managed to chuck the lead away twice which I'm sure made things entertaining for the neutrals watching on TV. And Ben Tonlett's goal was definitely one for the cameras and a contender for goal of the season. Happily, Timmy Abram also wanted to be a star on the TV and put us ahead for a third time, another really good goal. And we hung on to take all three points and leapfrog Torquay in the league. Tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. And it turned out that the last home game of 2022 would be a rearranged FA Trophy match against Peterborough, Sports, another National League North side that took us to penalties and our second shootout success of the season. Dave spoke to Dave after the match. David, Boundary Park Alert System. How, is it, how difficult is it for players to play against a team who put 11 men behind the ball? It was quite frustrating. Uh, it is frustrating. I don't, I don't want to make excuses. I thought they played, I thought they did what they had to do and they did it really well. Um, I don't think we're, at, we're, we're not in the place at the moment where. We can keep the ball and 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 be dead patient um, and find that you know quality. We we, we rush sometimes um, when we need to start again and and turn out and go the other way. And you know the the crowd want you to play forward. They want two strikers. They want everything banged up to strikers. You know we we we've got to um, we've got to be better. Um, certainly when teams like that come here and anywhere really and they, and they defend deep so it's just part of our learning but we've got to be a lot better than that To be fair the players showed great character to play with yeah. 10 men for the last 15 minutes you know I think a few games back it's fair to say they may have crumbled under that sort of uh, you know challenge put on them so did you get a positive, positive out of that when Hallam Holt went off? Uh, yeah I think um, I think young Benny came on and did well kept the ball for us um, and I said to the players in, in the dressing room at the end you know 
they've shown character. We haven't played well at all tonight. Um, and we quite easily could have felt sorry for ourselves. Um, but we, you know, we stood up and we came back and we, we won on penalties. So they're delighted with their, their attitude. I always have, really. The character's always been there. Um, just lacking in a little bit of quality. But, you know, slowly getting there. It's too unbeaten now. Yeah, well, that's it. And <laughs> with uh, Christmas coming, is it going to be six points over the Christmas oh, period? Well, will that be a nice Christmas present for you? Well, it would be the best Christmas present ever. Um, not to count you a decent team. Well, listen, we'll, uh, we'll pick a team and we'll go and try and win a game of football. And then expecting a big crowd here when we in the return leg on New Year's Day. Looking forward to that. And um, I'm sure our boys will be up for it. And um, we'll give anybody a game. When, when we're at it, when we're good, we can play against anybody. Uh, we showed that against Wrexham when we played um, earlier on in the season and in spells against the other top teams. But we, we, know, we know tonight that you know, we scraped through, but we need to be a lot better. And there's a little bit of anticipation because John Luttall will be featuring on Boxing Day. I bet he can't wait to get started. How's he settled in? Yeah, he's looked great. He's, um, I'm delighted to get him. I've said that you know, all along. He's been, he's been my number one target. Um, so we need to have a look how we're going to play. Um, he's not played for three weeks, which you know is, you know, which is a shame. Um, you know, he would ideally have played tonight uh, if the game wasn't postponed on Saturday. But um, yeah, I'm delighted to have Joe, and he's just another quality signing and uh, hopefully a few more to come um, from all those David at the Boundary Park Alert System have a Merry Christmas ah, and you thanks very cheers. much thank cheers you. thank you so this is where we end the year just one more match to play away at league leaders Notts County on Boxing Day and we end the year how we started it mired in a relegation battle but a lot has changed in 12 months we've got owners who are keen to sort out the mess they've inherited and who want to put things right who want to back the manager by signing players like Joe Nuttall and leave him alone to do the job, even if he wants to put the fish and chips where the veg should be. And we've got a future now because we fought for it. It's been a year like no other. And who knows, maybe one day we'll be able to look back at it all and laugh. But for now, this Christmas and New Year, let's take a deep breath and congratulate ourselves on getting through it. Because if you're still here after all this, you deserve to enjoy the highs when they come. Look to the future now. It's only just begun. This special episode of the Boundary Park Alert System was written by Arlene Finnegan and Matt Dean. Thanks as always to Andy Halliwell and Dave Bradley for helping make each show, including this one, happen every week. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it and if you'd like to help our podcast and media channel grow in 2023, please stop in at Titars and subscribe for just £2.99 per month. The link is in the show notes and on the website oafcpodcast.co.uk. Happy New Year everyone and see you on the other side.